Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speakers. Last week, uh, Pastor Ryan spoke and um, just about the anatomy of the heart. And I want to dig a little bit deeper. Um, I was kind of torn around. We're still, in, still talking about discipleship. And I was kind of torn about where to go next because we've been on discipleship for ever, <laughs> at least the past couple months. And uh, we're going to continue on that vein. And so I wanted to be more practical. I wanted to kind of give you some kind of notes and bolts about what discipleship looks like and how to do it and wanted to dig into that. Uh, but hearing... Uh, so even before I heard Ryan's message, because I didn't listen to it until like Friday or Saturday, um, before then I was like, well, you know what, I think there's a step before getting to the nuts and bolts that has to do with our heart. And so then when I listened to his message, I was like, oh, this is right up my what we need to do. Uh, but I want to dig a little bit deeper um, because he was talking about really about the anatomy of the heart and allowing the Holy Spirit to really lead and guide you uh, in discipleship when you're making disciples. And, but I want to just kind of sit there a little bit longer and kind of go in a little bit deeper uh, and just not about in general about the anatomy of the heart and looking at uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to, to lead you, which is kind of like the big vision. But I want us to look deeper and see how we're going to do that and what does that look like uh, on a more practical level. Um, and so this is discipleship. Uh, this discipleship, the six values of effective disciple. Six values of, because I, I changed it, like, I sent Ivy <laughs> the email of a title, and then I changed the title, so, and I have the old title, so let me read it also. Discipleship, six values of effective disciple makers. That's what it is, all right. Six, uh, discipleship, six values of effective discipleship makers. Um, so these are six values that you're going to need to have in your heart. So we talked about the anatomy of the heart last week. But these are the things that are going to be important for you to be priorities in your heart to really do this discipleship thing right. Um, you want to be authentic. You want to be real. You don't want to just be out and saying, oh, you this is not a used car salesman kind of dude thing. You know, you're not trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes and say, Hey, got to Jesus here. You know, no, we're not trying to do that and, you know, befriending people only to say, hey, knock them over the head and drag them to church. That's not what we're about. Um, but you want to love, you want to wanna have a deep love for people, uh, which first means you have to have a love for God. And we're going to get into that. So the six values of effective discipleship maker. Uh, and first, my name is Virgil Moore. I'm a disciple maker. I'm a disciple and also a disciple maker as well. Um, no, no, so, so some of you maybe knew, I'm, I'm, I'm from North Carolina, eastern North Carolina. Uh, we've been in Lynchburg now for 16, 17 years. Yeah, it's a long time, it seems like. <laughs> and uh, God has got us here. He's going to work. So six values of effective discipleship makers. So number one, so the number one value I think that you have to be as a disciple of God and we're all disciples. Can we agree to that? Who, who's a disciple? We're all our disciples. We're a follower of Jesus. If you're not saved, then hopefully by the end of the service, you will be a follower of Jesus. Uh, so as a follower, uh, it is imperative that you realize that it is expected for you to also make disciples. So that is priority one. So as a follower, you should be making disciples. So as a disciple, 
I should be making disciples. Uh, it's the Paul Barnabas Timothy uh, paradigm. So one way of explaining this would be to say everyone needs a mentor, uh, an associate, and an apprentice. Right? Everyone needs a mentor, an associate, and an apprentice. This is the Paul Barnabas Timothy. So I have someone mentoring me. So someone is I'm responsible to, I'm answering to, they're preaching into my life, they're uh, giving me feedback, they're showing me, they're teaching me, they're saying, hey, are you doing your five out of seven devotionals, are you praying, are you reading your word, how's your thought life, how's your marriage, how's your relationship, I need that person in my life, you guys have that person in your life, don't answer, you don't have to, Uh, it's rhetorical, but think about it. Do you have that person in your life? If not, you want that mentor. You want that person in your life who's going to speak into your life. All right? So that is the Paul we need in our life. And then there's the Barnabas. We need associates, friends, you know, people in our group, people that are on the same level that we can share life with, that we do life with, that I have friends that I can talk to, and if I'm having a problem, I can share my problems with them, and they can give me Wisdom or wise advice, just not any friends, not my worldly friends. I have worldly friends, <laughs> and they are friends, but I want godly men and women beside me through life that is going to share life with me and impart wisdom and may give me correction as well. As, as my mentor, as my Paul, maybe the Barnabas may see in my life and say, hey, brother, you might need to check that. You might need to do this differently. And we can do that for each other. So, and then there's the Timothy, there's the uh, apprentice, there's someone that I am now also pouring into. So um, we have this thing we do in our leadership group is a tic-tac-toe. You do a tic-tac-toe, everyone knows how to draw that. And you put yourself in the middle. <laughs> and so then you have people at the top that consider your mentors. You know, people at least identify three people that you can uh, say, hey, I want these three people to, to be feed into my life. These are my mentors. Maybe you don't have three. Maybe you have at least one. Uh, at least one. It'd be great if you had three. Uh, but at least one person at the top of that tic-tac-toe that says, hey, this is a person that's speaking into my life, that's feeding into me. Uh, and then when you in the center, here are my at least two friends, maybe more, God bless you with them, that are doing life with me. These are the people that I'm sharing in life together that are with me, and I can share with them, and they're speaking into my life as well. And then it'd be great if you had three people under you. Jesus had 12, um, but three people under you that you are pouring into. This is just a, this is just basic expectation of all disciples. So we all raised our hand as followers of Christ, right? We all did, I think. And so now we must do this. This is this expectation, this is basic expectation that I am learning from someone. And then I am also teaching someone what I'm learning. It's just, this is value. This is not in any particular order, but this is a value of effective discipleship makers. If we're going to be effective discipleship makers, we have to have a mentor. We have to have some associates. And then we have to have some apprentices that we're speaking into. Now, if you're married with kids... Your spouse can be in there. You kind of have some built-in things, right? <laughs> it's unfair, right? You say, ah, those married people. Uh, and your kids can be your apprentices, you know, uh, especially if they're home in the house, um, that they are the ones that you're pouring into. 
prayerfully that you're pouring into them. Uh, but outside of that, you still should have a mentor, people you associate with, and then people you're pouring into. So all disciples should be disciple makers. That's number one. All disciples should be disciple makers. And I admonish you to do the tic-tac-toe. You should have a Paul, you should have a Barnabas, and you should have a Timothy. And Paul also had Silas. So Paul had people uh, early in his ministry, he had Barnabas, but then later he had Silas. Um, the people you are walking together with you and doing life with you. But then also, that's not, it's easy sometimes to have the associates, and then sometimes it's okay to have the apprentice. We can do that. But it's harder sometimes for us to say, okay, who am I going to allow to speak into my life? Who am I going to allow to be vulnerable with? Who, who am I going to allow to correct me? Who can call me out on my stuff when it stinks, right? Who's going to say, hey, you're not doing this right. And if we're going to be okay with that. We're not going to get mad and say, oh, I'm part, I don't like this mentor. He's correcting me. <laughs> uh, you know, we need that. It's important. We, we must have that. It's important. So that's, that's a priority. So that's number one. All disciples should be disciple makers. Number two, which is, I, I would say, the most important thing, uh, because from this, uh, we'll build upon all the others. And if you don't have this, then I don't think you'll be genuine with any other stuff that you're, you're going to do. And that is love of God. And so many times we can teach a whole lot of stuff. But as a disciple, I need, and it, and it just reminded me that I need to teach my kids in particular, but even people that I'm associated with, uh, how to love God. Uh, and, the, and the verse says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so, so many times we focus on the commandments part uh, and keeping them. We want to do all the stuff. Uh, but it says, if you love me, and if you love him, then the commandments are easy to follow. What he tells you to do are easy to do because you love God. And so if you have a deep abiding love for God, then everything else flows from that. So let's at Revelations 2, um, 1 through 7. There's a lot we can unpack there. We're going to just stay focused. <laughs> uh, Revelations 2, 1 through 7, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus writes, uh, These things I see. These things say he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. So, he's, so this is the angel saying, I know your work. You've been known for all the good work that you've done. You're known for the patience you have. You've known for not being able to put up with any evil. And this, that's good. And you have been tested. Uh, you, you've tested those who are apostles and are not to have found them liars. And if they are not apostles, you found them to be liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. This is good. This is all the good things he's saying. He's, he's buttering them up for the, the punch in the gut. <laughs> it's a, you, you've been known for all this good stuff. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that he, you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. So it says, remember where you were. So looking at Church of Ephesus, and if you think back on what Paul said in Ephesians, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, all the nice things that Paul said about the Ephesians at the Church of Ephesus, 
It was all great. They were really good. They were known for their prayer, and they, they were known for their works and, and their relationship. And, they, and now in Revelation chapter 2, they've fallen from that. And it said, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and remove, uh, remove, repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. So this is, this, is a, this is really good because it, can, it shows me that you can do all the right things. And you can, it can look like you're in great real fellowship with the Lord. You can be doing good works. You can be patient. You can abhor evil. You can dislike, uh, you, or you have sound doctrine. You're theologically sound. You're doing all of these things. But you have neglected the love of God. And if you don't love God, then what's, what is doing all this other stuff about? Because you have to have an, a deep abiding love for God. And if I don't love God, then the next step is how am I going to love his people? And that's where we find it difficult because we don't love God and then we definitely don't love his people. And so we're at a conundrum of how are we going to make disciples of people we don't like? Um, so first I must love God. Uh, in verse 6 it says, but, but this you have in your favor, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he said, he, he hate these people. It's like, ah, you know, this is harsh. Uh, <laughs> and then verse 7 it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, to him who overcomes, I will give eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Has the, has the love of God, of Christ, and his people been shed abroad in your heart? Does it have the same fervor did it do, did, if it ever had? <laughs> we assume it had, you had that. Does you have the same fervor, fervor and love for God and his people that you had years ago? Or did you ever have that? Do you have a deep abiding love for God? And then... Uh, the Nicolaitans, this is just a, a, a good detail. He said he hated, he abhorred, he disliked, he, he found the Nicolaitans utterly repulsive. The Nicolaitans were uh, people from uh, Nico, Nicholas, which is discussed in Acts 6 5. His name is mentioned. These are descendants of his. Uh, he was an apostolate of Antioch. So Nicholas was an apostolate, so it wasn't a Jew, he was a uh, pagan. And he converted to Judaism. And then when Jesus came on the scene, he converted to Christianity because he realized, hey, I like this Jesus. So there are a couple of things we learn about Nicholas and his people is that he was willing to change his mind uh, too much, it seems, because he compromised the doctrine. So he has a doctrine of compromise. The Nicholas uh, believed in mixing paganism and Christianity, and he felt like that was okay. Uh, Nicolaitans also believed that you could have one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity, and that was good. And that's why uh, God hated them, because he presented a false gospel, a gospel that wasn't true, a doctrine that was, comp that was built on compromise and not total separation from evil. But, hey, we can do this and still consider ourselves safe. And that's what the Nicolaitans did, and that's why uh, God hated them. How many times are we confronted with Nicolaitans in our lives? <laughs> people who are built, 
go through a life of compromise and saying, well, it's okay. Well, you can't judge me. You can't say that about me, or you can't judge these people. I'm not judging you. The Word of God will judge you. Um, but we can't build our life on compromise, but we must build it on love of God and a deep abiding love for God. Uh, Matthew 22:37. Jesus replied, "Love the." Jesus replied, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind." Loving God is important. As an effective disciple maker, I must teach how to love God. That's gonna. That's gonna. That's gonna be foundational. That you must love God. And it should be our prayer that if we don't love God with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul, that we pray, Lord, teach me how to love you. Not love your things, not love your blessings, not love your gifts, but love you, Lord. So all disciples should be disciple makers, love God, and then from that, love a people. And these are people that know God and people that don't know God. <laughs> we got to love people. A genuine love for people it says love your neighbor as yourself. We have to have a genuine love for people. People know when you're not genuine. People know when you're trying to befriend them or be nice to them because of something else. You know, I'm, I'm trying to meet my quota for this month in disciple making, so I'm going to try to make some friends just so I can say that I share the gospel. That's not genuine. We don't have a, a love for people um, because we will act differently. And I'm speaking about myself as well. Um, you know, sometimes we buy into the world system that there is no hell. And that every funeral we go to, everyone is going to heaven, right? That's what they say, you know, they're in a better place. Everyone is not in a better place. And that's unfortunate. But it's the truth. That everyone is not in a better place and everyone is not going to a better place. And if we realize that as Christians, then we must respond in like and say that I want to do all that I can to make sure that you can get to a better place. Not just assume in our uh, American or worldview that everyone makes it to heaven and everything is good and you can live a, a riotous life and still go to heaven. I don't know what Bible you're reading, <laughs> but <laughs> you can't. Everyone doesn't make it in, and I don't. I, and I don't claim to judge from the outward because we realized last Sunday, Pastor Ryan said that uh, God looks at the heart. God looks at the inward man, and so as someone who's looking outside, I can't always tell what God is looking for. Even like you said, when when God was looking for a king. He presented all of Jesse's sons, and they all looked like they could have been kings. And then here's David, uh, puny little thing, comes up, and he said, he is the one. So God looks at the heart, and I'm glad he does, because, um, and that's important. But we must love people. And, and then maybe that's our prayer, if we don't love people. And it's not even about, um, sometimes me and my wife get into these conversations, because she's an introvert. Um self-proclaimed, I think. <laughs> Some of you may say, God, you sure? Yes, she says she's an introvert. She is. She will, be, she will stay at home all day, all night if she could. Uh, I won't let her. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, 
I am a mix of introvert, extrovert. So I enjoy meeting people and going out, but sometimes I enjoy staying at home as well. Uh, but we have to have a love for people. And, that doesn't, and the love for people doesn't mean that um, you want to be around people all the time. That's not what I'm saying. Because I don't want to be around people all the time. <laughs> uh, but you have a love for people, a love for their souls, and a love for not to see their souls lost. First uh, John four nineteen through 21, it says, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You can't get any more clear than that, right? Anyone who loves God must also love his people. We've got to love them. And like I said, if that's problematic for you, and all of these six values, then let's pray that God gives you a love for his people. Maybe, maybe you missed it at number two. Maybe you're number one, you said, I'm a disciple, and I, I do realize that I need to make disciples. You don't have no problem with that. Maybe it's like, man, maybe I don't love God enough. I don't have a deep abiding love for God. Let's pray about that. <laughs> and maybe you're at number three. I don't love people like I should. I don't love my neighbor as I love myself. And Ephesians 1, 15 through 16 says, For this reason, ever since I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, for this reason, for this reason, ever since I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is what Paul is saying about Ephesians uh, in the beginning. And they fell from that. They fell from their love for God and his people. And that was their first love. And they became a, a, a church of just doing acts, doing deeds, doing good works, which are fine, but it's not going to get you into heaven. Not a works, but it's a love-based action. That it's a grace that's given to us. It's a gift that's given to us by His grace. For love of people. So four, making Jesus central to all you do. So we're at number four. So number one was uh, six values. These are six values of effective discipleship makers. One value is that all disciples should be disciple makers. Number two was love of God. Number three, love of God's people, love of people. Because these are people who know God and people who don't know God. We need to love them. And number four is making Jesus central to all that we do. Let's read 1 Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And it says, uh, the, son of, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created Things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thorns or the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, 
and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He is central to all things. In him, through him, by him, we were created for him to use. He was reconciled from his blood, reconciled by his blood. It is about Jesus. And essential to discipleship making or effective discipleship is making Jesus central to it all. He gives preeminence. He's above all. He's in all. And he's the most important. Uh, what does that look like when Jesus is central, you may ask? You know, so you may say, yeah, I think I put Jesus as a central part of my life. Uh, does he look, what does it look like to have God at the center of your work, of your family, of your relationships, of your church, of your neighborhood, of your hobbies, of your sphere of influence? What does that look like when Jesus is central in all of those areas? And you can ask yourself, you know, what does that look like? What does it look like for work? Maybe, that, maybe I do my work as unto the Lord and not as unto my boss, right, or to the company. So that, what does that mean? I do the best job every day, all day, no matter what's going on. No matter who's there, no matter who's not there, I do my best. I put my best foot forward. That means that in times when there may be uh, issues of uh, uh, dishonesty, some, something going on, um, and you feel like, oh, no one's going to see this if I take this and this, then no, I'm going to do the right thing all the time because I'm doing it as unto the Lord and not unto the company. And I'm going to say the right thing all the time as unto the Lord and not unto my boss. That means I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to tear people down. So then, hey, that, that brings it down. You know, so we can say, yeah, Jesus is the center. We say that all the time. He's central to everything. But then we, we break that down and look at what does that mean for work. Let's just do one area. We ain't got to do the rest of them. What does that mean for work? And then when we really got, start to build that in, it's like, oh, man, maybe I have not made Jesus the center at work like I thought I had. I got some work to do. <laughs> so then you look at family. You look at relationships. So, so in that, is there submission, is there confession, is there prayer, is there guidance, is there worship? Is there intimate relationship with Jesus in all these areas of your life? Not just in some, not just in part, not just in lip service, but in all these areas of my life, is Jesus Lord? 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2 says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions that I pass them on to you. In my imitation of Jesus, worth following, making disciples. More importantly, we must follow, we must be followers of Jesus. So sometimes we can get caught up. So let's say, hey, we're talking about discipleship making and wanting to make disciples and say, hey, I'm going to go out here and get me a band of people and they're going to follow me, but let's have to ask ourselves, <laughs> am I following Jesus? Is he Lord of my life in every area? 
And I'm not saying that you shouldn't get your band of, of <laughs> friends together and and your tic-tac-toe, you're in the center, and you have some people that you're pouring into that's important, and people and someone is pouring into you. But more importantly, are you, is Jesus Lord of your life? Are you submitted to him in every area of your life? And sometimes it has to be a true self-assessment of our own lives. Because sometimes we can, you know, look at the big picture and say, oh, yeah, I follow Jesus. And I have a relationship. But when we break that down to what that looks like, it doesn't always look as pretty as the big picture may look like, right? And sometimes, like, ah, oh, you know what? I have some work to do here. I have some work to do. So, I'm getting out of order here. Hold on. So, making Jesus central to all is four. So, when we make Jesus central in all, we're following him then it's easier to move into number five, which is living, transformed lives of humble obedience. Because we're submitted to his lordship, so now we're living, transformed lives of humble obedience. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but... Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So live in transformed life. So it's not one thing to be conformed. We don't want to be conformed to the world or the world's pattern. Um, Conforming means that you're going to set yourself up to be like they want you to be. Transformation means that you don't look like what you used to look like. And it is a process. Thank you, Lord. Ain't that right? (laughs) And it is a process. If you ever watch the Transformers, sometimes it's hard to know what they are in their, uh, <laughs> their transformed state, right? Because <laughs> they manipulate their bodies and they change up into something else. They don't look like a plane in their transformed state. And God, that's what God wants. Your, tra- your mind should not look like your mind looked 20 years ago. You shouldn't have the same thoughts, the same patterns that you had 20, 30, some of you are young, some of you are not even 20, so let's say 10 years ago or 5 years ago. (laughs) But your mind is transformed by renewing of your mind, transformed by the renewing of your mind, renewing your mind by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit. Renewing your mind, transforming your mind, allowing your thoughts to be submitted unto Him. If I have a thought, I give it to the Lord. Lord, is this how you view this? This is how you view me. He says, yay or nay, and then I cast that thought aside or bring it in. (laughs) Bring it into captivity or thoughts. But renewing your mind, thinking differently, desiring to do different. These are foundations to being a disciple maker. These are things that we should be thinking about as, as people who are wanting to make disciples. If I want someone to follow me, I need to be following the right thing, right? <laughs> Please don't follow me off a cliff. God knows I don't want that to happen. Uh, in verse 3 of Romans 12, it says, For by grace given me, I say every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. Sober judgment. I want us to focus on that just a minute. Sober judgment. That means it's an honest assessment of where you are, where your heart is. 
So in, in all of these things, so let's look at this sober judgment. I'm, I'm a follower of Christ, and am I also, if I believe I'm a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, and then I'm making disciples, do I love God? Let me soberly answer that question. Not with clouded rose glasses, but let me answer that. Do I love God? And not just uh, answer it. Let me, let's put some meat to that. I love God. That means what am I doing? I'm, I'm obeying his commandments. What does that look like for me in my life to love God? Let me unpack that. That's just not me say, oh, yeah. I love God, but what does that look like for your life? If you're going to say you love God, what does it look like? When someone says, well, what does love God look like? You should be able to come up with a response. For your life, what does that look like? Then if I love God, do I love God's people? And then if I say that, what does loving God's people look like? What are you going to do with this? A pastor that says, so what? He thinks that's their thing they say. So if you love God's people, so what? That so what is to ask, so what do you do if you say you love God's people? Not just a so what. <laughs> what are you going to do with that information now? If you, if you answer the question, yes, I love God's people, so what's next? How do I live my life in response to saying I love God's people? How do I live my life, as I said, living transformed lives under humble obedience? That's number five. Um, if I make Jesus central in my life, as number four, so what? So what next now? What do you do with that? How do you unpack that? Living a transformed life humbly, so what? You get sober assessment of where you are. That's what I want you to do. Sober assessment of where you are. First Peter 1, 13 through 16, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully what? All y'all asleep, okay. <laughs> With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that had you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you to be holy, so be holy all in all you do. Be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. As obedient as children, do not conform, but we want to be transformed. And the last thing, number six, be led by the Holy Spirit. And this is what Pastor Ryan talked about last Sunday, is just being led by the Holy Spirit. And like I said, that was a, a, a really good message, giving us an overview. But I wanted us to dig a little bit deeper. Because so many times we look through these with these rose-colored glasses and we say, yeah, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. Let's unpack that. What does that look like? So what, right? <laughs> so what? You're led by the Holy Spirit, so what next? What are you going to do with that? Uh, Zechariah 4, 6 says, uh, So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord of Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It is by his spirit that we want to be led. And that same spirit that lives in us, raised Jesus from the dead. That's powerful, you guys. I don't know if you understand that. I don't, I don't think, I, we say that a lot, <laughs> but we have that power in us. And so many times we can, uh, especially when we're talking about discipleship and talking about, you know, your introvert, extrovert, and where you are, and what I'm made up of, and I'm not a people person, and 
their personality is better suited for this. We're all called to do this. This is just this is not a hierarchical thing where well this call to be a disciple or is for people who have good personalities. No. <laughs> Whether you thought they had a good personality or bad personality, you're a call to be a disciple and to make disciples. And this is not for the professional class. Uh, this is for people who, you know, this is not just for people who've been to uh, Bible school or got a certificate and uh, teaching Sunday school. I don't know what you get. <laughs> but it's for everyone. Everybody. As soon as you said, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, day one, several hours later, it is for you now to win souls. Day two, day three, and every day since is the expectation is that you are now a disciple and you are to win souls for Christ. You didn't have to. It didn't come with a certificate. It didn't come with, a, oh, you need to finish all these foundational things. It's great that you do. It only equips you to do things better, but it's not a requirement. All you have to do is be a follower of Christ, and then he wants you to make followers as well. John fourteen twenty six says, But the Father sends the advocate as his representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you in everything and remind you of everything I have told you. It is important that we realize that uh, these things are foundational. Is, we want to we believe as a disciple that we should be making disciples. We believe in a deep abiding love for God that falls into a deep abiding love for his people. We want to make Jesus central to all that we do. We want to live transformed lives under humble obedience. And we also want to be led by the Spirit. When you do these things, if you kind of focus on these things, you break them out and you answer, so what to all of them? So what? So what? So what? So what? When you ask these things, I know somebody got taught that. <laughs> uh, when you ask yourself those things uh, and unpack that, and they become priority in your life, so what next? Then you begin to respond differently. You begin to live your life differently. It's not about just doing the same old thing and, you know, kind of looking at life through rose-colored glasses and saying, hey, yeah, I'm a disciple. But I'm not doing anything to win God's people to him. I'm not living my life. I'm not sharing the, sharing the gospel with others. And not even just sharing the gospel. I'm not even living my life with people who can pour into it. I'm not even sharing and building up the saints that are saved. I can just even pour into them and encourage them. I'm not even doing that. So I want to encourage you to do that. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.